do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Listen, we are moving on. We are moving into 1 John chapter 3 today. And as we get underway, this is a, a chapter, these first uh, 10 verses that we're going to study today talk about our likeness to God or our likeness to Satan. This is really pointed, direct stuff. And uh, so it's it comes off very heavy. Jody asked me this morning, are you ready to preach? I said, well, the message is prepared, <laughs> but I don't, I, there's something in my spirit that's like, man, this is so heavy. So, so come with me and we're going to talk about this today because it's very, very important to us to think through what John is trying to say about being children of God or children of the devil. Uh, and really the bottom line is the proof is in our practice, how we consistently live our lives. Have you noticed that children are much like their parents? Oh, I know. If you have kids, you already know that. And if you don't, be ready, right? They're, they're like one or the other, usually a little bit of both, but much like one or the other of their parents. And so much to our chagrin, that includes the traits that we wish they wouldn't pick up on, right? Uh, so we, we, whether it's the language they hear you use or the gestures they see you employ or phrases you say, I was, several years ago, this really struck me because I was riding along in the car. I'm a fairly conservative driver. I'm not generally very aggressive, but I do get really annoyed at people who are. So when somebody cuts me off or whatever, or drives what I think is being kind of crazy, I express myself. And Mitchell was riding along one day. And uh, no gestures, don't worry. But um, Mitchell was riding along with me one day, and somebody did something, and I just was, Ugh. and from the seat next to me I hear, idiot. I thought, he's been listening, oh no. And uh, it's not not always a, pl a plus in our minds, but our children are like us because they inherit traits from us. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. The family that we are born into, the family that we belong to, will inevitably begin to reflect itself in our behavior. That's kind of the point of this passage of Scripture. So let me start in and read just the first three verses of 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone 
who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, I got to tell you, I was really tempted to just stop and preach those three verses because those verses will preach. You can really go a while talking about this. So I'm going to talk about the rest of it, but I got to stop here for a minute because the concept in this passage is we don't want to be people who are practicing sinfulness, habitually tolerating sin in our lives. So let me, let me let you know up front, it's going to talk a lot about he who practices sin and so on. We're not talking about the person who struggles with sin, who, who sins occasionally. John has already said early in the book, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We understand that we will still struggle with sin, but sin is the topic here. And so I wanted to give you a few things about what sin demonstrates. Sin, first of all, contradicts the hope of the believer. I want you to notice this first amazing reality in verse 1. Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Now, come on, get... That's a, that's a phrase that describes a degree or a measure. Can you even imagine, he could have said, what astonishing news it is that we get to be called children of God? All right, now i got a bone to pick with y'all. When Pastor Marcus is preaching... I told him, you have a way of drawing people out and getting them to interact. So feel free. I'm not Pastor Marcus. I never will be. And I'm probably not going to beg you to say amen. But it's okay once in a while. If you hear something you agree with, we're allowed to talk out in church here. Sorry, kids, if your parents told you otherwise. But you can, uh, you can be engaged. It really is amazing, though, right? It's an incredible thing that God would call us his children. God has no need to have kids. It's because he wanted to that he has children. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's an amazing reality that God is willing to call us his children. You remember John chapter 1 and verse 12 talked about how that's a that's something that God grants to us, right? As many as believed in him, as many as received him, he gave the right to become Children of God. I have a couple of nieces who are adopted. It's an incredible thing. Families go through a gargantuan series of responsibilities in order to adopt a child. That child takes on the name of that family. They become their own. God calls us his children. That is Imagine that word, behold, see, is like, hold up a minute. We, we've got to think about this. See what kind of love it is that God would call us his children. He has no need to do that, but he calls us his children. So we are in his family. It's talking about our family of origin, right? Now we have a new family of origin. We are children of God. And man, if you have never committed a verse of scripture to memory, verse two might be a good one. 
We are God's children now. That's already true if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've believed in Christ, if we've repented of our sin and believed in the gospel and received Christ. We are already God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Are you, are you glad for that? Are you glad that you're not as good as you're going to be? <laughs> I am not everything God has designed me to be yet. I am not what God is going to do. Years ago, there was a, I had a, I had a pin that's, I forget what all the word, what all the letters were, but it just had a bunch of letters, but they were the first letter of the, of the phrase, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. I'm so glad for that. I am really grateful that God is not done doing what he intends to do in my life. It doesn't yet appear, but we will, what we will be, but we do know this, when we see him, We'll see him as he is, and we will be like him. Because all who received Jesus, God gave the right to become his own children. It's an ongoing process. So we are his children. We are in the process of growing in every way that God wants us to. And that gives us a powerful motivation. I love this third verse. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I have hope. So when I'm struggling with sin in my life, when I'm struggling with some, some besetting sin, and listen, we all have things that we still battle with, right? Things that are maybe residual from our, from our past life before Jesus transformed us. Things that perhaps we grew up with and developed habits in our, in our home or whatever it was. We all have things that we kind of struggle with. And, and part of the beauty of Christianity is we struggle with different stuff. But every once in a while you come across somebody who struggles with the same stuff that you do. And you're like, man, we can help each other. We can encourage each other. Everyone who has this hope, what hope? That we're going to see Jesus, that we're going to be with him, and we're going to be like him completely. Everyone who has that hope purifies himself, works at it, seeks to develop in his life a sense of, of righteousness. We don't want to stay the way we are. Listen, we don't resist sin in our life because we want to stay out of trouble. We should be resisting sin in our life because the hope that we have in Jesus causes us to want to purify ourselves. Christianity is not about all the negative, you can't do this and you shouldn't do that, and what in the world are you doing that for? It's look what's coming. Move toward that. That's what we're after. So sin, the problem of tolerating sin in our life is it contradicts the hope of the believer. There's a second thing here I think sin does. Beginning in verse 4, sin ignores the finished work of Jesus. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Boy, we know John is direct. This is among the verses that help us realize that, right? Sin ignores the finished work of Jesus. So he begins by helping us to define sin. What exactly 
is sin. And again, let me remind you, he says, no one who makes a practice of sinning. So he's talking about those who do not seem to want to make a change. They're not, they're like, "Ah, this is just the way I am. Have you heard people like that? Um, you know, I'm sorry I didn't treat you right, but it's just the way. I'm sorry I yelled at you. It's just the way I am. I'm sorry this. I'm sorry that. But it's just the way I am. Well, then you're not sorry. Those who are practicing sin are ignoring or breaking God's law. Law-breaking. So there are two concepts here, right? We don't want to break God's law, but we also don't want to have the attitude of a law-breaker. Sin is lawlessness. That's not breaking a specific law. It's an attitude of, I'm not really that concerned about it. It's fine. It'll work out. Nobody's perfect. Sin is lawlessness. That's how we define it. That's how John's defining it, and he's using it in that kind of way. So what did Jesus do? Well, he came to be the one who was removing our sin. So we define it. We know sin is breaking of God's law. It's an attitude of rebellion in our heart, and Jesus came to remove that. He came to carry it away. You remember the uh, account back in Leviticus we talked about a while back? how that they would they would take the two goats and they would kill one and offer it as a blood sacrifice for sin and the other one they would lay their hands over it confess the sins of the people and send it off into the wilderness it's called the scapegoat jesus both paid the penalty for our sin and carried our sin it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats old testament to take away sins but in the case of jesus he came to take away sin. Not just cover it over for us to remove sin. So what do we know? Verse 6, no one who abides in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Those are really potent words. If I habitually tolerate sin in my life, I don't know Jesus. Makes you kind of glad for grace, yeah? (laughs) Amen? No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. What, on the other hand, happens when you abide in Christ? John chapter 15 Uh, talks about how when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit, right? We must abide in Christ. We must be in him, and we must rest, abide in him, draw strength from him, and so we bear fruit, like what Paul describes in Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Those are the things that will come as we abide in Christ. They will grow. My wife decided to grow some veggies this year. We've had our own peppers and our own tomatoes a couple of times already. Mitchell decided, I'm going to help, and picked everyone off of every plant about two days ago, even the little green tomatoes. (laughs) Uh, 
It was very helpful. Thank you very much. Those things bear fruit according to what they are. Jody bought three different kinds of tomato plants. Yeah, I'm just going to give it a shot. Not surprisingly, they grew three different kinds of tomatoes. Some were cherry tomatoes, some were bigger, some were that, you know. And she grew peppers. The peppers didn't grow any tomatoes. The tomatoes didn't grow any peppers. Because the plant, the fruit of the plant comes from the root. If I'm abiding in Christ, my fruit will begin to be that which is similar to and reflects Christ. So if I am practicing sin, I'm not abiding in Christ. I don't get to have both things. If there is unrepentant, habitual sin in my life, I don't know Jesus regardless of what I claim. It makes me really glad for that last song we sang, right? Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. Oh, man. Listen, it's a challenge, right? I cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and permit habitual sin in my life. Those two things are incompatible. Because sin is a product of blindness and ignorance. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. That's why it's so important when we talk to people about Jesus that we don't just try to get them to believe a set of facts. Christianity is not another religion that you just say, yep, I believe this and this and this and this and this and this. Christianity is about the gospel which transforms people from the inside out. You don't argue the facts. You don't try. That's why I don't try to argue people into salvation. I'll do my best to answer questions. But at some point in time, I have to deal with the gospel. So because we do this every week, and I hope it helps you in your evangelism as much as it does mine, how does a person come to faith in Jesus? We repent of our sin because we've all got it. We turn from our sin. We acknowledge that we've fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And we believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? In short terms, Jesus, God's son, came, died on the cross, was buried, and literally came back to life again. He lived perfectly what I could never do. And so I repent of my sin, I believe in the gospel, and I receive Jesus. I, I come to the point where I acknowledge I can't do this. I'm res resting in what Jesus has already done. And so I now have his righteousness because I don't have any of my own. The third thing I want us to see, and we're going to swing back around to that in just a minute, Sin reveals our spiritual family of origin. Our behavior demonstrates our, our condition. Let me read these few verses. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one who's born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. This is, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, super black and white description there, right? Very clear cut. Here's one condition, here's another condition. You either are born of God or you're a child of the devil. Which is it? Oh, man, it's so incredibly important. Our behavior demonstrates our condition. Listen, it's, it's not that righteous living makes me righteous. When I am practicing righteousness, listen, that's, that's practice is that word for a reason, right? I'm working at it. I've always wondered why they call it practicing medicine. But nevertheless, I do practice righteousness. I work at it. I seek to develop it. I seek to grow. Everyone who is doing that demonstrates they already are. That's back to that earlier verse. We are now children of God, but it doesn't yet appear what we will be. We are currently righteous because of what God has done through Jesus, he has taken my sin. Once I, once I repented of my sin and believed in the gospel and received Christ, God takes my sin and considers it to have been paid for when Jesus died on the cross. And then he takes the perfect righteousness that Jesus lived and he applies it to my account. So now when God looks at me, he says, David Wilson, I consider him to be perfectly righteous. That's incredible, right? That is just so beyond belief. If my wife were here, she'd say amen to that last sentence. Because I am not actively righteous all the time. I'm still battling and struggling and learning and growing just like you are. But in the eyes of God, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are already perfectly righteous. Come on, that deserves an amen, right? Come on. <laughs> That's how God takes you to heaven. Not because of what you do, but because you are in Christ. And he says, don't let anybody seduce you into believing something else. That means we can't make assumptions. You may look at a good person and think, man, they're really a good person. I'll bet they're a Christian. Some good people have just become very adept at knowing how to be good to be well-behaved, to be polite. But the only righteousness that is adequate to make me right in the sight of God is the righteousness of Christ. In fact, God's the one who said in Isaiah 64, right? We become all become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It's not about being good. It's about being completely, perfectly righteous in Christ. It isn't that we can't do anything good. Lots of people do good things. It is that we can't do anything that is adequate and pleasing in the sight of God, sufficient for our salvation. John the Baptist looked at the Pharisees 
and said, you brood of vipers. This is a different John than wrote this letter, but similar tone, right? You brood of vipers. Who told you to come here? Demonstrate first fruits of repentance, then come here. Good people don't all go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. And when God looks at you and you are in Christ, he sees you as perfectly righteous. Unbelievable. Our behavior demonstrates our lineage. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's his source. That's where he's coming from. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It would be wrong to water this assertion down. A person who allows habitual sin in their life is not of God. They are representing their father, the devil. Why do I use that term? Because that's what Jesus himself said to the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, if God were your father, you would love me. The Pharisees were all, they were all happy with themselves. Well, God is our father. Jesus said, if God were your father, this is John chapter 8, you would love me for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot hear my word. You now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Everybody thought these guys were like the best. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. These guys were good people. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who's born of God, verse 9 says, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, I've got to make sure you don't misunderstand that, because there are people who will look at a text like that and say, see, that means I can become perfectly sinless in this life. I can get to the point where I don't sin anymore. The Bible doesn't teach that. John goes back and forth between nobody can continue to practice sin if they're a child of God and Man, we're struggling our way through this. We're slugging it away. We're working it out, working out the salvation that God has worked in, right? We're, we are just wanting to pursue righteousness, to purify ourselves, as the third verse talked about. It doesn't mean that we will never sin, but it does mean we will demonstrate similarity to our family, Habitual sin demonstrates that my family is the devil. Habitual righteousness, a pursuit of righteousness, demonstrates I am one of God's children. I'm born of God. Remember when uh, Potiphar's wife 
was trying her dead level best to seduce Joseph back in Genesis 39. What did he say? Oh, sorry, I'm not allowed. No, he said, how can I do this? Or in the inverse, I can't do that. No, was it impossible for him to have become physically involved with Potiphar's wife? Well, certainly it was possible. But he said, I can't do that. Why? Because it's incompatible with my commitment to Christ. It's incompatible with my commitment to God. I am born of God. I'm one of God's children. I can't do that. That's the concept here, right? It's, it, is, it is inconsistent with my heart to serve God, and so I want to resist it. That last verse is interesting, verse 10. By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In simple terms, puppies don't act like chickens. I know that sounds silly, but they are a different breed. They belong to a different family. Puppies are cute and adorable and great. Chickens taste really good. I don't know what else to say about them. But they are different creatures. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I have been made new if I'm in Christ, if I belong to God, if I'm one of God's children because I'm in Christ. I'm a different creature. I used to be a chicken, now I'm a puppy. Or a kitty if you like cats, and I'll pray for you. But, oh boy, email's coming. Write to marcus at gocoastal.org. We act based on our nature. This is a wake-up call, said one writer, to peripheral, cultural, Christmas and Easter-only Christianity. Listen, I never, at special occasions of the year, criticize people for showing up to church well, we're here the rest of the year, you know, what's the matter with, I, I don't, because I'm genuinely grateful for people if they come once or twice a year. But if we think that showing up to church once in a while will do something about our relationship to God, we are sadly mistaken. I show up to the garage to get my oil changed once in a while, but that doesn't make me an automobile. Showing up to church once in a while isn't going to make me a Christian. That's going to require something far deeper, a far deeper transformation that can only happen because of the gospel. I should not be able to live comfortably with sin. It should burden me when I sin. I'm at war with sin. That's the point of this passage. Listen, I... I don't want this to be discouragement. I don't want this to be frustration or uh, unless unless you're there, right? And if you are, man, we got people who'd love to talk to you and help you and work with you. Help encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Help you understand what it really means to be 
a follower of Jesus Christ. When we're at the end of this service, as we're singing and as the service closes, there are going to be people up here under these television screens that would be happy to talk to you and pray with you and seek to encourage you. Maybe you're battling with something and you really need to get this figured out. That's the big question, right? It's not the question shouldn't be, well, okay, at what point am I really practicing sin? I, I don't want to know how close I can get to the line. I, what I want to ask is, how am I, am I struggling with this or I, am I accepting of this? If I accept it and it's just who I am and it's the way I am and people will just have to live with it because that's who I am, then I am not a Christian if it's a sinful behavior. If it's something I'm struggling with and I'm gaining some victories and I'm growing in it, then I'm a child of God. Because that's how it works. Man, aren't you glad that you're not what you will be? Aren't you glad? Okay. And aren't you glad you aren't what you used to be? God is in the process of transforming you, and he does it through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, according to Paul in Romans, and then to all the rest of us. I am so grateful that we have the grace of God that works in our lives. It gives us encouragement. Listen, if I'm tolerating sin in my life, I need to get after that pronto right now. I cannot tolerate that. It should be an encouragement to watch and see. Where were you a year ago in your walk with Jesus? Where were you five years ago, ten years? Maybe you just got saved. Listen, don't expect it to happen immediately. Some things are going to go away. You're going to find a new heart is going to cause you to yearn for righteousness. It's part of what happens so let me give you my usual three thoughts to take home. When we trust in Christ, when we repent of our sin and believe in the gospel and receive Jesus, we are free from the penalty of sin. If we were to die a minute after we did that, we would go to heaven and God would say, you are perfectly righteous in my son Jesus, so welcome home. Because in our standing, we are right before God. We are free from sin's penalty. In the process of life, we are growing in our freedom from sin's power. We are increasingly finding ourselves able to defeat the temptations that we struggle with. And we are increasingly finding ourselves wanting to do the right thing and be righteous not because God will be happier with us. Remember, as God looks at us, he sees us in Jesus perfectly righteous already. This isn't about making God happy. This is about growing toward what we are becoming and wanting to do it with all of our heart. Progressive sanctification, if you want the theological term. We are growing in our freedom from sin's power. And one day, we will be free from the presence of sin can you even think? imagine? I mean, think about that. Someday, when we're in eternity with God, in the kingdom of God, and, and on into eternity, there isn't going to be any sin around. <laughs> Nothing inside that's going to tempt you to want to do what that thing is that you struggle with. Nothing from outside. 
coming at you saying, man, look at this, look how pretty this is. There aren't going to be advertisements in heaven, no commercials. Man, no, that's not enough reason to go to heaven, but it's just sure going to be a perk. We will be free from the presence of sin. It's going to be a great day. In the meantime, we rest. We depend on the Lord. Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Because he is our one defense. He is our righteousness, right? He is the one who enables us to go before the God of the universe and recognize that he, God, calls us his children. What an amazing thing. Amen.